Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter number 49, and verse number 33, and uh, then I'll read a verse uh, in Hebrews 11, verse number 21. Genesis 49, verse 33. I want to preach for just a few moments this morning on this subject, having church. Having church. I'm not talking about going to church. Uh... I'm not preaching on attending church. And I'm certainly not emphasizing playing church. But we're going to notice the thought of having church. I got a preacher friend back up in North Carolina. He said when he was uh, eight or nine years old, His favorite thing to do, his grandmother raised him, and when all the cousins would come, he always wanted to play church. So he'd gather them all together down by the creek. He'd preach to them, and then there wasn't nothing but he had to baptize them. Well, his grandmother was old-fashioned. She thought that was taking it too far, a little sacrilegious. So she warned him, but he couldn't help it. He'd do it every time they'd come, so she whipped him for it. We're playing church. And I got to thinking how it would be if God whipped us every time we played church. Notice in this text, in Genesis 49 verse 33, the Bible said, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost. The word yielded there has the idea of releasing or blowing back to God what He blew into you. And was gathered unto His people. As I read that passage of Scripture, my mind began to muse over how Jacob was so calm, so serene, so tranquil, and so peaceful. At the very hour in his life in which most people fear the most. The dread of the hour of dying. But yet he simply takes his feet up in the bed and he releases or he yields or he blows back to God. Doesn't seem to be any stress or strain or fear contained in it. I wondered how he could do that, and I came to Hebrews 11, verse 21. It's talking about the very same time in Jacob's life. By faith, Jacob, when he was a Dying 
That's the same time of which we read in Genesis 49, verse 33, around that same experience. He blessed both the sons of Joseph, and notice the next phrase, and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And I come to the conclusion that the reason why Jacob could die like he died was because he died in the sanctuary and the atmosphere of having church. It lends to us the importance of not playing church. Not just going to church and attending church and not just taking church for granted, but having church. He is worshiping. And it is in this attitude that he leaves this world. (laughs) That's the way I want to go. I don't want to die mad. I don't want to die hating somebody. I don't want to die with envy in my heart, jealousy and bitterness. (laughs) No, 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 no. I don't want to die like that. I want to die having church. In the atmosphere of worship. And I'm here to tell you, that that doesn't just happen. You don't live your life the way you want to live it and the attitudes that you want to live it and then die like this. You die like you've lived. And so it is so vital and important that we throughout life have church so that when it comes down to die, we got something to die with. An atmosphere of worship. Now this didn't just begin, I say here, on this day. But I want to read where it started in the life of Jacob. This matter of having church. I want to go back to Genesis 28, verse 11 through 19. The Bible said he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night. Because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac. The land whereon thy liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Verse 15. Behold, I am with thee. I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. He was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other than what? What am I preaching on? Having church. This is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for his pillow, set it up for a pillow, and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which means the house of God. 
But the name of the city was called Luz at first. That was his first experience in having church. Genesis 31 verse 13, God comes to him again and sends him back to church or the house of God. He said, I'm the God of Bethel, the God of the house of God, where thou anointest the pillar, where thou vowest to bow unto me. Now arise and get thee out of the land, return unto the land of thy kindred. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. He said, Get back to the house of God. Jacob went, or Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garment and let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So he came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, he built there an altar called the place El Bethel, or God of the house of God. Because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Again this morning for a few moments, I'm preaching on having church. The very vital importance of the reality of not playing church, not just going to church, and not just attending church. There are four things that I want to say to you about this matter of having church as it is emphasized in Jacob's life as he goes to the house of God, as he worships God, even down to the very hour of his death. I want to say to you, first of all, that this matter of having church involves a place. It is a specific place. The Scripture tells us that he is at this place which he ultimately calls and God calls Bethel or the house of God. And I believe this matter of worship or this matter of truly having church involves a specific place. We're living in an hour in which folks have come to the place that they can worship God anywhere and everywhere and they need no attachment to a physical place or a building such as this. But I'm here to tell you, I believe when God saves an individual, He will place that individual with a flock of believers and they will come together at a place and there they will experience God where they have church, real church. A place where angels ascend and descend. A place where altars are built and businesses settled with God. A place in which God appears. A place in which we can come together and experience Him. It is a place. Thank God for the place of which we can meet God. I've got a 
preacher friend in Ohio, he said that he had a lady come by one day and she was needing some help from the church. She came to his office and said, you know, I need some help financially. He didn't know the lady, so uh, he talked to her and he began to ask her if she was a Christian and where she went to church. And he said when he mentioned church, she just threw her head back and scoffed and said, oh, now I don't, I don't need anything like that. And she said, I have my church at home. And so he continued to talk to her and, and tried to emphasize the importance of, of going to church if she was, if she was saved and, and knew the Lord. And she said, oh, again, I don't need that kind of church. I got my own church. So he said to her, well, why don't you go to your church and see if you can get some help? I thought that was a pretty good recommendation. But aren't you glad that God put this place in your life? And aren't you glad for the experiences that you've been able to have and what God has added to your life as you have been able to come to this place? It is a place. It is Bethel. It is a location of where he first met the Lord. And it was emphasized throughout his life as he mentioned this place. But I want to say it's not only a place, it can be any place. This ought to be a place of where we faithfully come together and we faithfully meet with the Lord and we faithfully experience what God has for our lives. But if this is the only place you worship, if this is the only place you have church, you're not having church much. I noticed in Genesis 48 and verse 3 that Jacob is in the land of Egypt, many hundreds of miles away from Bethel. And while he's down there in Egypt, he has been removed from Bethel. He's been taken out of Bethel, but Bethel has not been taken out of him. His experiences with God he is having there as he had over at Bethel. Bethel has gone with him. And he reiterates and he shares with his uh, son. He, Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz, which we know to be Bethel, in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me there. While he's in Egypt, the scripture tells us as we read in Hebrews 11, he is worshiping. He is experiencing God and he's telling his son about what happened at Bethel, the very work of God in his life. I'm glad that uh, this matter of, of knowing God, this matter of worship, this matter of having church is not confined to these four walls. The many times that I've been able to enjoy the truths of God and the blessings of God sitting in a study or driving down the road in an automobile or, or on the job while you're working. There are, there are innumerable places. As a matter of fact, there is no place but what you can't experience God. And our hearts need to be open to that because we need Him in all of those places. If it only works here, then it's not worth much. But thank God it'll operate in you in other places that you find yourself. And even in difficult places, you can experience the Lord and He wants you to experience Him in those places. Jacob is having church. Yes, it is at a specific place, but it is at, it is at other places or special places all the way down 
in the land of Egypt, he is able to experience God or he is able to have church. I remember as a 19-year-old boy, I was driving from Greenville, South Carolina, up 85, and, and uh, I don't know, I, was, I, had a, I had a thought on my heart, I had a text on my heart, and there wasn't nobody there to preach it to but me and the Lord, so I figured he'd enjoy it, and so I just cut loose to preaching. And I'm telling you, I was just waving my arms and spitting all over the windshield and everything else. I just, I wish I'd have taped that thing. It'd have been a wonderful sermon, I'm sure. And when I came to myself, there was a fella in front of me in a, in a tractor and trailer that had pulled over on the side. He was still driving the same speed, but he's over on the side over there with his arm out the window waving me around him. I don't know what he thought I was doing. <laughs> But I was having church. And folks may think you're crazy. They may think you're a little off. Uh, But I'm going to tell you, it's such a blessing to be able to experience God no matter where you're at and how important it is. Because chances are you're not going to die where you're sitting. Uh, You're going to be out there in the world somewhere in some experience when you you die. And... uh, you want to be able to experience God in those hours and in those places. I'm talking about the importance of having church. It is a, it is a place. But then I want to emphasize what all of these texts emphasize, that this matter of having church. Now, we can come together. We can go through our formalities. Thank God for those who have studied the sermons and will preach them this morning if they know the Lord. Thank God for those who sing the songs of Zion. Thank God for everything that has taken place in in this building, in this church, to enhance and enable us to worship God. But I think we all know that if the Lord doesn't show up, uh, all we have done is gone through the formalities. And I know the difference, and you do too, of coming together and doing the uh, detailed things that we do, and then having God breathe on a song as He did this morning, or having God breathe through a sermon and and knowing when you've left that there's been more than just people there, there's been more than just singing there, there's been more than just uh, preaching there, but you know, and we often use that little phrase when we leave, boy, the Lord showed up today. And we certainly are handicapped to that and realize that, that Bethel is nothing if God is not there. Our worship experiences uh, can take us no further than just the words from our lips and the, uh, the actions of our hands or, or, or whatever it may involve unless the Lord breathes upon it. I said to a preacher, a young preacher the other day, he said, wanted to, he asked me about pastoring a church and, and, uh, building a church and all that other stuff. I said, well, you've asked the wrong person. I don't know anything about any of that. But I said, I can tell you one thing that I look for 
When I go into a church, into a meeting, I'm looking for life. The heartbeat of God is in there somewhere, and wherever God's heart is beating, that's where the life emanates from. And in pastoring a church, you don't just go and start a bunch of things and build a bunch of things and do a bunch of things. You sit still and wait for God to breathe and, and feel His heartbeat. Then you know where He's alive. You're not doing what everybody else is doing. You're doing what God is doing. And if God brings it alive, you don't have to keep it alive. You don't have to pump life into it or, or you don't have to imitate. It'll live in and of itself. All you got to do is correspond with what God's doing. The problem across this world is one church will try something and it seems to be a little successful and then every other church in the country will be in on the program. Let's just start that. And then if your church don't do it, they want you to feel like you're not spiritual because you hadn't joined in on the, on the bandwagon. You hadn't started this new program. When all along, what you're trying to do is wait for God to move through and whatever He's doing, that's what you get in on. It may cause you to be a little strange to everybody else and do things a little awkward, but it always does. Read the Bible. Anytime God moved on a man or a situation or a people, they were strange people. We are a peculiar people, but it's because of the person of God who inhabits us, and He is the one that is, that is doing the moving. I was up in, um, up in Tennessee a few weeks back, and it was on a Sunday night, just a normal service, a good church, I sensed. And they called on a little, I told Brother Lester about a little six-year-old girl to come and sing, and her sister played the piano for her. And she began to sing a song, it had three verses to it, and they dealt with the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, and then His death and resurrection. Had a little chorus to it, come out to the end and said, uh, uh, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Holy Son of God. He is the Blessed Son of God. And I can't explain those moments to you. You know what I'm talking about if you've been there when all of a sudden the Holy Ghost went boom on it. And in that little old corner right there, that little six-year-old girl just radiated with God with uh, no outward emotion at all, just standing. It was like the Holy Ghost was piercing into my heart and I could tell He was piercing into everybody else's heart and He was saying to them, I just want you to know He's the Son of God. It was bearing witness to all of our souls. So captivated me. Until I stood, I knew the Holy Ghost had said all that He wanted to say. And I said, folks, we've heard Him through this little child as He has emphasized our heart. He just wanted us tonight to know who Jesus is afresh and anew. And the only way I could explain it, as I said, it was almost as if God set another little Mary in our midst and birthed Jesus afresh and anew in our hearts and how real and genuine it was. How blessed it is when the Holy Ghost hovers over us. And then we know that we've had church. As Jacob said, Oh, God has been in this place. The Lord has visited with me. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. Amen. 
Not only because of the place, but because of the person he has been able to have church. Thirdly, I would point out to you, this matter of having church is not only a place, not only does it involve a person, but it involves a process. Did you notice he, in Hebrews 11 verse 21, the Bible said that Jacob worshipped, and then it gives us the detail of how he worshipped. He worshipped leaning upon a staff. Now the question could be asked, why did Jacob not bow? Why did he not bend the knee? Why didn't he not humble himself in meekness and get down? He, he was in, a, in an atmosphere, in a mode of worship. And in doing so, he's simply leaning on a staff. I'm sure his grandfather wouldn't have done it that way. Oh, Abe would have probably just fell down on the altar. Isaac would have probably done the same. But you see, the truth of the matter is, we worship through the experiences of the paths of which God has led us. And if you'd ask, old man Jacob, Jacob, why are you worshiping? Why is Jacob worshiping over there in the corner, leaning on his staff when everybody else is bowing or whatever? And if you could ask Jacob, he'd say, son, the reason why I'm worshiping like this is because it's the only way I can worship. Because, see, many years ago I had a confrontation with God. And He broke me, both spiritually and physically. And uh, I've got this hip situation. And it won't bend and it won't bow. But when my heart wants to worship, I can lean on the staff and raise my hand toward heaven. That's just the way I do it. You know what makes worship so special? is that it's not a cookie-cutter experience. I cannot worship, and I worship uh, through the same spirit that you do, but I cannot worship like you do, because your worship comes out of different experiences that God has brought you through. It has a different flavor and a different mix in it. As I come and I preach to you out of the spirit of worship, and that's the only way you can preach, out of the spirit of worship, I preach to you out of the worship of the experiences of which God has developed and processed and brought me through. That's what makes me special. But it is also what makes you special in this service. And the thing that I like about crisscrossing the country is when God rests on an individual heart, I am able to experience the aroma and the flavor of the experiences of the Holy Ghost and the path of which that individual has been brought by God Almighty and there'll never be another soul that'll be able to worship out of that well. That's what makes you special. You're not just another church member. You're not just another saint coming in here. But you're an individual that God has dealt with you through the avenues of life as He did Jacob, His experiences, working and meshing and bringing all that together and the Holy Ghost bringing worship out of Him and all of that comes out at the same time. You can't worship outside the realm of your experiences with God. And how special that is. I've often said that worship to me is like 
God taking and putting a jug in a heart when he saves you. And then he takes all of your experiences, your past, present, and future, and he pours them in that jug. And then he fills the jug with the Holy Ghost and stirs all that up together until you can't tell the difference. And then when worship takes place, he'll come by and shake your jug. And when he shakes your jug, the aroma of all of that begins to surface and you'll find yourself testifying and said, I want to thank God for what He... Oh, you ought to have been there when, when God... You ought to have seen what He delivered me out of. And what happens is all those experiences begin to arise with the flavor of the Holy Ghost surrounding it and we all get to experience it. Huh? As you have gone through the channels of what God has brought you through, even as Jacob, when I read that scripture, it blessed my heart to see old Jake over in the corner leaning on a staff. I said, boy, ain't that precious where God brought him from. We had a, still a member of the last church that I pastored for 18 years, Brother Jim McCannon, he wouldn't mind me telling you, he, he had a disease of the retina, and uh, through the years, he just began to go blind, and he's been totally blind probably for almost 20 years. But he had worked at a furniture company uh, from a young man up, and in those days, they, they worked off an assembly line, and they did the same job all the time. And his job was to sand the tabletops as they came through. Well, during all those years, he was getting worse and worse as far as his blindness, but he could feel, he'd done it so much, he could feel. He knew he could sand that table and still work and, and barely be able to see. But then the day came in which they changed things around. And so his job was no longer going to be like it was. There were several things he would have to do, so he could not do that, and so... He had to go on disability. It broke his heart. To this day, he raises a garden. He can't see a thing, but he gets down with his hands and his knees in his garden. He feels and raises a pretty good garden. <laughs> feels through that garden. Can't see a thing. Not a thing. Just a few years before I went into evangelism, uh, we had a uh, little thing at... Uh, Christmas time, and we'd put a, a star on the back wall. The star was probably somewhere around 10, 12 feet, and we outlined it with lights. And uh, we did that like on a Saturday, and we hadn't told anybody. It was just a part of the uh, the uh, Christmas play or whatever was happening, and so we had the star up there. And on that Sunday morning, we came in and hadn't even opened up church. I mean, we just had, we hadn't sung a song or nothing. I just got up and, and uh, maybe said just a word, and, and Brother Jim jumped up. I always liked it when the Holy Ghost rested on him. He'd just take him hands like that in the dark, uh, as far as his eyes was concerned. But there's a lot of light on the inside, and he'd go to testifying. And I'll never forget that morning. He stood up and he said, Brother Dana, I got, a, I got something I got to say. I said, go ahead, Brother Jim. We need to hear it. And in his blindness, he said, I don't know if there's a star in this church anywhere this morning. It being Christmas time, sometimes they'll put a star. 
But he said, I just want, I want to say that I, in my heart, I see a big star. And he began to talk about the star of David. Well, while he was talking about the star of David, we were sitting there looking at that big star that he didn't even know was there. <laughs> and the Holy Ghost took his blindness and shot it like a blanket across that. And I don't know what time we got out. We didn't have preaching. We didn't have Sunday school. We didn't have, we just had worship. We had church yes, through one man's experience that God had brought him and began to shake his jug. And when it did, it overcame all the rest of us. Oh, how precious it is that the Lord leads us in different directions to bring us to the place of worship. What a process. I'm talking about this matter of really having church as a matter of a place, a person, and a process. But then I come back to my text in verse number 33. This matter of having real church is a preparation. You see, you're not just wasting your time today. But somewhere down the road, tomorrow or the next day, you're going to need to draw from the well of what happened in your heart today. There's going to be a measure of assurance. There's going to be a word that God will shoot through your heart, a confirmation and you may not even be able to associate with anything today. But I promise you down the road, you're going to need the experiences of worship. And again, I say not playing church, not attending church, not just going to church, but thank God drawing from the deep well of having church and of worshiping God. Jacob is down to the very last Hour, the very last breath. <laughs> and what does he do? He does what he's been doing for all of those years of which he first met God at Bethel. He has church and he worships. What a blessed privilege it is to know that you can have in death what you've had in life. Especially if you have walked with the Lord and you have experienced Him and you have worshipped Him, how vital it is when you realize you're going to leave this world that the one that you have walked with and talked with and how special that is because if he's going to talk to you and tell you some things today, <laughs> don't you know that in that very last moment and important time in your life, he's going to tell you some things then. But if you fiddle around, played around, played church, just attended church, you've taken it lightly, and you've lived with animosity and bitterness and anger and malice and, and greed and all those other things, when it comes down to time to die, that's exactly what's going to be operating in you. And you'll have to walk through that experience with those feelings. You say, hey, you know, I know it's true because of the Word of God, but I also know it's true because I've been around enough folks when they passed over. 
I've been around those that all they lived for was the little bit of land that they had. And if they said anything to the young'uns, all they had to say was an instruction about the little bit of money that they had. And I've seen them when they passed out of this world still trying to tell the kids what to do with the land and the property and the money. Don't move that rock up there, whatever you do after I'm gone. Who cares? Don't take all that money and do this, that, and that, honey. They're going to take it. They're going to take your good, hard money that you've lived your whole life for and given yourself for, and they're going to blow it. And you'd roll over in your grave if you knew what this bad. I'd rather just be able in my last moment to do this and release everything to God and realize I ain't going to have no control over it anyhow. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Huh? I've even heard of people who hid their money under the mattress and when they died, they died with their hand under the mattress on the money. Huh? I have seen them die with so much control over the physical that they couldn't even die peacefully because they was worried about what somebody was going to do with what was theirs. But I have been among the saints where they went like this. And they just breathed back to God. What a precious experience. And that's what worship is doing. That's what having churches done. It's preparing you for an hour in which you can do that in the presence of your family, your loved ones, and your children. The most blessed thing they can see on this earth is a daddy or a mama who has yielded and breathed back to God in an attitude of worship. You say, well, why is that so important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Because when you get to heaven, what you're going to find out is, is heaven is one eternal having church. One eternal worship of the Son of God. That's what it's all going to be like. And I don't want to be a stranger when I get there, and I don't want to have to adjust. I realize there'll be some adjust, but I don't want to have to adjust from being ugly and mean, worried over some acre of land and, and a couple of hundred dollars in the bank, and look into the face of God in eternity. My daughter is a nurse at a rest home there in Burnsville, North Carolina. And she said, Daddy, I want to tell you about a gracious man. She had told me about him previously uh, to a degree, and then she told me about it, his experience of death. But she said, Daddy, that man is so blessed, has such a spirit about him that all of the nurses want him as their patient. 
and said, when you go into his room to, to tend to him, said he's talking about the Lord, he's thanking you for everything. And one of the last things he'll say is he'll say, honey, you won't have to do this for me long. I've got a better place to go. And she said uh, he got sick and they had to take him to the uh, hospital, the rescue squad. And said as he was going out, several of the nurses were there. And, and he, the, the thing he was telling them, he said, this is it, this is it, I won't be back. <laughs> he went to the hospital, but he did get better and he came back. And she said that was the first time that he looked a little down. And he said, well, I was just hoping that was going to be it. I was looking forward to it. But said he got back you know, to his normal spirit, and he was telling them, you know, it won't be long, it won't be long. And finally, a few weeks later, he did get sick, got down to the point of death, and said all of his family was gathered in there, and said he had, a, he had his mind right up to just almost a minute he left this world. And said he was appraising God and telling his children, said, I get to go, I get to go, I'm fixing to go. <laughs> and his daughter was leaning over top of him, running his head, kissed his forehead, and said, yeah, Daddy, you're going to go home. You get to go. And she said, I stood in that room with the nurses in that room. We were all gathered in there, and tears were flowing of joy. Because an old man that worshipped his whole life was checking out with that same attitude. I've even known two or three preachers that their great desire was to die while they were preaching. (laughs) One fellow was, it was his great desire to die while he was preaching. And he did so. He was in a preacher's fellowship meeting in Tennessee. And he fell over dead while he was preaching. And they called his wife. And they said, Sister, we hate to tell you this. But your husband passed away today. You know what her first words were? Was he preaching? Was he preaching? <laughs> they said, yeah, he was preaching. <laughs> what a way to go. Jacob said, I'm fixing to check out. I'm fixing to leave this old world, but hold on. I think I've got time for to have church. One more time. And his soul, his spirit looked toward heaven and he worshipped while he was a dying. <laughs> That's why it's important you worship this morning. That's why it's important you worship today. That's why it's important that we take advantage of the times of which God wants to meet with us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm sick of having church. If having church was all there was to it, I wouldn't go to church. You're looking at one fellow that don't believe in going to church if having church is all it was. <laughs> Does that sound strange? I don't like church. That's boring to me to go just sit and listen to somebody sing, somebody get up and scream and holler and spit at you. I want to tell you something. You ain't never seen a fellow that liked having church anymore than I do. 
And every time I go to church, I go with the anticipation that perhaps God might breathe today. And somewhere during that service, my urgent prayer to God is, Lord, don't please let me have church. Please visit. Maybe in a song. Maybe just in a testimony. Maybe in a word from the man of God. Somewhere, in some point in time, I want to have church. And sometimes I'm blessed to go and have church the whole church. <laughs> that could be dangerous. <laughs> I have had a meeting or two from the first note on the piano to the last amen. We had church. Angels ascending and descending. Idols being done away with. Altars being built. And God moving in hearts and souls. And people living, leaving different than what they came. Somebody said, what happened to you? <laughs> I met God today. I met God today. And I'm going to tell you something. If there ever was an hour, if I'm fearful of anything, I am so fearful in my thoughts of our generations to follow us because there is so much play in church and so little work of God being done in hearts. (laughs) Boy, how we need to be shaken early on in this matter of worship. This matter of coming to church and attending church and feeling good because we play church. And in the honesty of our hearts, we know that nothing genuine has happened in our, in our hearts that's real. That's going to get us beyond the grave. That's going to help us face the sorrows of tomorrow and the sad news of what has taken place the pains and sufferings. And honey, they're coming for all of us. It's headed our way. And the only thing that's going to sustain us is this matter of the reality of meeting with God.